Well, good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It is great to see you. And how many of you love global warming? Yeah. Some of you are like, I'm not really sure. This is my first time. Is this a message? Just kind of what he leads with. No, it's just so hot, right? Hot. I mean, crazy hot. Like, great hot. Like, this is awesome. I, that's why I'm wearing linen today. <laughs> Cotton is just too heavy, right? I just can't do that. My body puts off a lot of BTUs. And so I, I just takes me a little time, but it is great to see you today, and it's uh, so great to have Brad and Angie Rosenberg and, and Mallory, their daughter. Uh, uh, they've been friends of mine and Tammy since Bible college, since 1990. Take me back, right? <laughs> Nando was almost back to the 90s. He had that George Clooney uh, crew Caesar cut. Remember that? ER, anybody? <laughs> Too young of a crowd. Okay. <laughs> But uh, it's good to have you guys with us, and thanks, Brad, for sharing and for taking time to, to, um, uh, to share your heart, and uh, thanks for letting us partner with Convoy, man. We, we love Convoy here. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to take the, your Bibles this morning and turn me to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, be back next week as I'm going to conclude this series on uh, Romans chapter 16. We've been walking through the last probably 15 months intermittently. We've been walking through the, the book of Romans. And, uh, and today we're talking about the power of unity. Uh, the kind of title of my talk is Perfectly One. And the, 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 the power of unity. Uh, unity in the local church is paramount. If you've grown up in church or you've been around church at all, there is nothing nastier than a church that is not in unity. Uh, there is nothing, I think, that, that stinks more in the nostrils of God than churches that play politics and, and they have internal fighting. Uh, I say this all the time. People can fight the devil all week long, but they don't want to fight him on Sunday morning. Amen? Okay, there's three of us here. Amen. <laughs> the rest of you guys, we're going to pray for you in a few moments. Demons be gone. All right? So, I mean, it's just one of those, like, it's just, it's, 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 if you want to please God and you want to reach a lost and dying world, you've got to walk in unity. Now, here's the good news. Life Church, I'm not just saying this because I'm up here preaching and I'm your pastor you, you embody this message. I'm a bit preaching to the choir today. If you're new to Life Church, or you're new to your faith in Jesus Christ, or yet you're not yet a Christ follower, today we'll kind of give you some, some um, this is what we believe kind of a message. But this is, this is what makes it, this is kind of the secret sauce, if you will, in any church that's growing, in any church that's reaching its community, in any church where you just sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. You could do that when the, the, uh, the worship was, was, uh, was going on, and you could just sense the sweet flow of the Holy Spirit. And God is working, and God is moving, and God is in our midst. And that happens because unity is there. When there is disunity, the Holy Spirit just kind of goes, hey, I'm going to go to Starbucks and grab a grande, skinny, cinnamon, dolce, latte. And when you come to the end of your bad self and you want to get along and love one another, then I'll be back. Until then, you can fight amongst yourselves. Because Wherever there is disunity, God is not there. And so we're, we're going to talk about this in Romans chapter 15 today. If you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 15, starting in verse number 1, we're going to read these first eight verses and kind of unpack this. This is kind of the, the nexus or the core of this, of this particular chapter. Paul says this, For we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Verse 2. So let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who were reproached on you fell on me. For whatever was written in the former days, speaking of the Old Testament, was written for our instruction. 
that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in, in, accord, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may be, excuse me, you may with one voice glorify the, the God and the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Verse number eight, for I tell you that Christ became a servant. Paul is, uh, is unpacking this whole value of unity. And I want you to understand two things is not in the notes, it's not going to be on the screen, but there are two statements that you need to get when you talk about unity. Number one, unity is not uniformity. Unity is not uniformity. Quite, quite frankly, it's the opposite of which. We notice that when the Holy Spirit came, Acts chapter 2, all people from all places and all languages in the world converged upon Jerusalem for yet another festival, one of the seven feasts that the Jewish calendar would celebrate. And it was then when all people from all places and all parts of the world and all languages converged together, that's when God chose to pour out his spirit to fulfill Joel 2.28, the Old Testament prophecy, in the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So we understand that, that uniformity is not unity. Meaning, it doesn't matter where you come from, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter the color of your skin, it doesn't matter your pedigree, your background, how much money you've got in the bank, it doesn't matter if you're male or female, it doesn't matter if you're young or old, it doesn't matter if, if you're a little pleasantly plump, amen, or if you're skinny, we don't like you people, all right? I mean, you, it doesn't, my, my email address is rcoggins at lifechurchwi.com. It, it doesn't matter. What, what matters is, is that we have uni unity, not uniformity. So I don't want you to hear messages like this and go, he wants everybody to be alike. No, I don't think he should because God didn't create you that way. God created us with these different personalities and these different opinions sometimes and these different, but how do we bring that together? That's the second statement I want to give you is that you and I have not the ability to create unity. We cannot create unity. We cannot make unity. Only God can do that. But we can keep the unity that God gives us. That's what we're called to do. That's what Paul's talking about. I don't have the ability to make unity. I don't have the ability to make you get along with me. I don't have the ability to make you love me or make you whatever, or people to get along. This is what we see in our world today. If you don't believe me, turn on the news anytime within the next 24 hours, and you will see the most disjointed, polarized, disunified place that you've ever seen in your life. Why? We've got more people marching for more issues, talking about more things, hashtag whatever you want, than we've ever had in my almost 50 years on this planet. But at the same time, we have more disunity. Why? Because you and I and our human condition and our, and our own humanity, we're jacked up. You understand? And that's a really deep theological term. It's in the newly inspired version. But, but we don't have the ability but when Jesus Christ comes into our heart and comes into our life and the grace that saves us from our sin, it regenerates our sin nature and it changes us from the inside out. And I love you not because I always agree with you. I love you not because you and I are alike. I love you not because of uniformity. I love you because of the power of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the triune Godhead flowing through me, loving me. Therefore, I can love you. I can serve you. I can walk in unity with you. That's the reason why. 
The church, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, every day of the week and twice on Sunday, I'm telling you, people in the world should be looking at the church and going, that's the most unified group of people I've ever seen in my life. Those people, they love Jesus. They're called to a common mission. They're called to a common belief. They, they all kind of lean on this book called the Bible so heavily. If it were to move, they would fall. They are walking in unity. What do they have? What we have is not a denomination. What we have is not a pastor or a program. Amen. What we have is not a building. It's not about steeples and stained glass. It's about the power of Jesus Christ when he comes into your life, how he changes you from the inside out to live life different. And that's what Paul's talking about, the power of unity. We have not the ability to create it. We can only keep it. Paul will tell the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. That's our responsibility. Now, before I jump into this passage a little bit more and kind of get into my notes, and I've only got 16 minutes and six seconds. Yeah. Max Licato, a famous author, um, in a book called Gentle Thunder, writes a story. It's not true, it's fictitious, but it talks about the unity or sometimes the disunity that we can find ourselves in inside the church, in the body of Christ. I'm going to read this. Some time ago, I came upon a fellow on a trip who was carrying a Bible, and are you a believer, I asked him. Yes, he said excitedly. I learned that you can't be too careful when you with whom you fellowship. So I began to ask him some questions. Do you believe in the virgin birth, I asked. I do, he said. Do you believe in the deity of Jesus Christ? No doubt, he replied. Could it be that I was now face to face with a real Christian brother? Nevertheless, I continued my checklist. Do you believe in the return of Christ? I believe it is imminent, was his response. What about the Bible? It is inspired, was his immediate answer. I was getting excited. Are you conservative or are you liberal? He was getting interested in me too. He said, I'm conservative. I asked him, uh, as my heart began to beat faster, what denomination are you a part of? He said, I'm a member of the Southern Congregationalist, Holy Son of God, Dispensationalist, True Convention. <laughs> it's not a real denomination for those of you that don't know. I was excited because that was my denomination as well. <laughs> I then asked him, what branch of that denomination are you? He said, I'm a part of the premillennial, post-tribulation, non-charismatic, King James, one cup communion branch. My eyes missed it over, for that was my branch as well. <laughs> I had only one other question. Is your pulpit wooden or plexiglass? Plexiglass, he replied. I recoiled in horror. Get away from me, you heretic, as I walked away from him. <laughs> How do we keep unity? That's kind of sad, but true sometimes, amen? <laughs> Number one is bear one another's burdens. This is how we keep unity. If you're taking notes, bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens, Romans 15, one. Paul says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Whenever you bear the burden of someone, you the joy gets doubled and the pain kind of gets cut in half. You and I as Christ followers, bearing one another's burdens is not about prescriptions. We're not trying to preach to them and to tell them what they need to do. Rather, we're coming alongside them. It's about helping them carry their pain. He says to the strong, the original language in the Greek, that means mature, faith-filled, wise, and experienced. How many 
Christians have I seen in my lifetime who felt like they were strong and mature in their faith? How many conversations or emails or text messages have I received that I'm going to another church because I'm looking for something that's deeper and, and, and I need something for more mature Christ followers and I need to, but, but, and, 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 and we find this. This isn't just life church. This is just in general as a pastor because people feel like, well, I'm mature and I'm faith-filled. And, and so, and, and really what they're saying is, is, is more, I need you to feed me more and I need you to do more for me and I need you to take more. But Paul says the responsibility of the strong is not to be more fed. The responsibility of the strong is not to get what they want, contrary to a consumeristic mindset that we have in North America. The, con, the, 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 the obligation, he says, of the strong, obligation, not, op- not optional, If you are strong, it's because you are there to benefit whom? Yourself? No. Others? Yes. And who are those other people? Other strong believers? No. The failings of the weak. Let's talk about that for a minute. Let's just leave the nightly news outside, right? Let's just leave all the problems that the world has outside. Let's just look at ourselves for just a moment. Failings, shortcomings. You know, people at Life Church with shortcomings, don't point. It's not nice. Amen? Right? You do. Like Superman had kryptonite, we all have something that is a weakness to us. Sin. It's a good, real, simple, direct term for what a lot of times failings are. Sin. And we always want to judge from a point of strength, never from a point of weakness. If you don't deal with a particular sin, then you're very easy to condemn that sin or to judge that sin or to judge that person dealing with that sin because you would never do that. I love in the book of Romans where Paul talks about in the lake of fire, hell, between the adulterer and the whoremonger is the gossip. Because there are no degrees of sins. There's different consequences for sin. If you lie unless you're lying before a grand jury and you're perjuring yourself, there's probably not a legal repercussion. If you murder someone, you're probably going to go to jail. There are different different consequences, but there are no different degrees. And what we're called to do, those of us that consider ourselves strong, are not to go find a more fit church or a more strong church or a more mature group of believers that we can kind of iron sharpens iron and we need to have a holy a holy huddle that really kind of becomes just a kumbaya, navel-gazing Christians that just say, go to hell with the world. The truth of the matter is, is we're to embrace one another's, not strengths, but failures and weaknesses. We're we're to to build up one another. And I can hear somebody saying, whoa, 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 but but I I get that, Aaron, but you know, but the Bible does talk about that if there's brothers and sisters among you and they want to live in their sin, that you need to cast them out. Yes, That is true. If you are considering yourself a Christ follower and you want God to endorse the sin that you're openly living in, you are a sinner. You are what's called backslidden. You've walked away from your faith in Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that we as elders in the church are to confront you. And I'll let you know that'll happen here. And in that confrontation, if you don't want to repent of your sin that's very open, then you need to find someplace else to go because you are playing games with God and you are playing games with man. And there is no way that we can dwell together in unity. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about 
brothers and sisters in Christ who are endeavoring, who are striving to live out their faith, to serve Jesus, but they're just struggling with their own humanity. They're struggling with their own weakness. They're struggling with their own sin. And man, they're going to the, they're going to the altar and they're asking God to help and they're just struggling. And the responsibility of us is not to shun them. The responsibility of us is not to put them in some back room because we don't talk about that. The responsibility of us as mature, strong Christ followers, we have an obligation, not an option, not if you come across, we have an obligation to stand with, to pray with, to love, and to uphold those brothers and sisters in Christ who are weak. We're not called to be judge or jury. We're called to carry the burden. How long do we carry the burden? <laughs> Until the burden lifts or the Lord takes us home. Amen. This is what we should be doing. We should be the most loving place in the world. I'm not talking about affirmation. I've said this before in this series. So if this is your first weekend here, to, to love someone doesn't mean that I affirm their behavior, their lifestyle, their choices. To love someone does not mean I approve, contrary to what the world says. Sin is sin. I didn't get to write the book. I don't get editorial privilege over it. I think I'm going to write a book called Editorial Privilege. I don't get to write editorial privilege over this. And 30 years ago, man, I'm telling you, sinners were sinners, and they looked at Christians, and they said, at least they're standing for something, but I'm a sinner on my way to hell. These people, they love Jesus, and they're living. Maybe one day I'm going to get right with God and do that. But today, it's like, well, no, 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 we want to sin, and then we want the church to approve our sin behavior. No, no, that's not what love does. No, love calls you out in your sin. I'm going to get to that in a minute. Then love gives you a pathway to repentance. But love also walks with you along the way and bears your burdens. That's what Paul's saying there. We're not to shun one another. We're not to shame one another. We're not the Holy Spirit. We're not to convict. No, we're just to love you in this. Second statement is to build one another up. To build one another up. Again, I'm not writing this. I'm just telling you what he's saying. Verse 2 and verse 3, he said, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, not our good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. This is what Jesus did, Paul says. Therefore, this is what we should do. So what does building up look like? Well, I go back to this book called the Bible, and I keep doing this over and over and over again because this is our example. This is our example. This is the foundation of our faith. We lean so heavily on this book that if it were to move, we would fall. We accept it as our source of authority. And hidden in this passage is a scripture, one of the greatest verses of the Bible explaining the character of the Bible itself. Look at verse 4. He says, for everything that was written in the past, that's the Old Testament, was written for four things that the Bible does. To teach us so that it gives us endurance and encouragement of the scriptures so that we may have hope. Yes. The word of God will teach you all things. The word of God will give you endurance to do all things. The word of God will encourage you at all times to do what? To bring hope into your life. And when you are a student of this book, and, and when you're enduring and you're running the race that God's called you to, and you're encouraging yourself in this book and in God's word, and you have hope, what happens is it becomes very life-giving. For I believe that the Bible is the word of God. And if you believe that the Bible is the word of God, then because of that, this book then becomes a basis of our unity. It's not some denomination. It's not 
some church. It's not some pastor. It's this book called the Word of God. And because we are using the same source of authority, when we have disagreement, we go back to this book. And if this book speaks to it directly, that's the answer. If it's silent on the issue, then, there, then there's liberty. And, 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 and there, 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 there's, well, there's, the Bible didn't really talk about that. So did Jesus drive a, a Toyota or did he drive a Honda? Well, let's just look. When Hezekiah 3.5, that's not a real book, right? It's not there. Right? Amen? So when people go, well, they shouldn't drive that kind of car. They shouldn't live in that kind of house. They shouldn't. Well, Jesus didn't really. He didn't have a car to drive. I'm sorry. They didn't have cars back then, right? He didn't speak English either. Sorry. For some of you, they're like, oh, my goodness. I thought he, and thou verily as sayest unto theest. No, that was King James, right? That's the 15th century. You read your history. But my point is, is you and I don't have to believe everything exactly the same about the Bible. For instance, the second coming of Christ. Your order of eschatology of the end time events may differ from mine. Some of you may be what they call post-trib. Like you believe that you're going to go through the tribulation and the rapture is going to take place. Totally fine. Some of you may go, no, I'm pre-trib. Y'all can stay here for all the destruction and damnation. I'm out. I'm taking the first plane out, right? Okay, we'll find out. Amen. I mean, it's going to happen one way or the other, right? It's not worth fighting over. So there's liberty. But when it comes to the basis essence of, 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 of what we believe, we want to keep unity? We want to build one another up? It's this book, right. the Bible. Right. If you just think that the Bible is a book of history, you just think that the Bible is a book of fairy tales, your, your, your frontal cortex does not have the ability to understand that God can put his super onto your natural and did so in the Old Testament and the New Testament. If your Bible is no different than a novel, then there will be no unity between you and I as brothers and sisters in Christ. Because quite frankly, this is one of the essentials that we cannot compromise on. Because this is how we build our life. I'm telling you, this is the reason why we talk about soap, scripture, op, uh, uh, observation, application, and prayer on a regular basis. Because here's what I know. If you will get your nose in this book, it will help you and lead you into everything you need to do and your, and, and your character and your integrity and leading your family and leading your home and leading your marriage and leading your life and decisions that you need to do. God has given us everything that we need. That's what the verse, verse four says. This word is useful for every single thing in our lives. Everything that was written verse 4 says. That word everything in the original Greek means everything. Isn't that deep? Everything. Old Testament and New Testament. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 says, for all scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching and correcting and rebuking and training in righteousness. Every word of this book is God, God breathed on it. Every word of this, this book, God breathes through it. It is alive. Even the Old Testament Remember back to when Jesus, after he has died on the cross, he's risen from the grave before he ascended to the Father. He's on the road to Emmaus with two of the disciples, and they don't really know who they're talking to. But as he began to speak, the Bible says, and the disciples said of that experience, and our hearts began to burn in them. What, do you remember what Jesus talked to them about? Let me give it to you. And he, Jesus, showed them all the scriptures. That would be the Old Testament then. The New Testament had not yet been written. For he was walking with them. Amen. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God and the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. He showed them all the scriptures, the Old Testament, things concerning himself. If you read the Old Testament and you don't find Jesus, you need to reread it again, as my grandmother would say. Right. Woo, 
don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. I'm telling you, if I had a black choir in a Hammond B. Oregon, we'd have some church up in here. You know what I'm talking about? Like if you don't read the Old Testament and you don't find somewhere in the type or the, Christoph- uh, the, the Christophanies of the Old Testament, if you don't see the prophecy of who Jesus is, if, if you don't see that there, you need to reread it again because he's there all the way through. There are all of these foreshadowings from, from, from uh, Genesis 3.15, which is the first messianic prophecy of the Old Testament, all the way through to the book of Malachi. Jesus is there. And that's the reason why when we all go, this is what we believe on. This is what we rest upon. This is what we put our faith upon. Not upon a denomination, not upon a pastor, not upon a preacher, not upon a man, not upon a woman, but upon God's word. We'll walk in unity. This is the reason why we walk in unity today. Amen. I mean, I'm preaching way better than you guys are shouting. But I got one minute and three seconds left, and there's no way I'm going to do that. So let's just keep going. Number three, welcome one another. Welcome one another. This is how, this is how we walk in unity. We welcome one another. Look at verse 7. He says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. At Life Church, I have said this since the beginning. We want to be a place that nothing is offensive to you except for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. I don't want you to have a bad experience in the parking lot. I don't want you to have a bad experience with a door greeter. I don't want you to have a bad experience checking your kids into life kids. I don't like lines. I know you don't like lines. We work on those lines. We try to get like Chick-fil-A. Amen. Anybody kind of get a witness in the house? <laughs> All right. Amen. The truth of the matter is, is we want everything to be the very best environment it can be so that you can experience God in his fullness. It needs to be a place of salvation, the local church should be. A place of healing. A place where the presence and the power of God is experienced. That's why we do worship. Look, you've been dealing with the world. You've been dealing with work. You've been dealing with stuff all week long. And some of you are coming in and you're like, man, if he would just shut up, I could get to my lunch appointment. Then I'm going to get to the golf appointment. I'm going to get to the lake. I'm gonna... But some of you, man, you're heavy. I know. I live life just like you do. And there are weeks I come in and I sit right there on that front. And I mean, I don't have, I don't have it in the tank to preach. I know what I'm going to preach. I've got my message, the, the back, they've got the slides, everything. But all of a sudden there is a song that's sung. And the presence of God begins to just fill my heart. Yes. And there's strength. I get it. That's why we come together. That's the reason why this environment should be so welcoming. I love what Luke's gospel says about Jesus, that he was a friend of sinners. Even if you're not a Christ follower, the local church should be the most welcoming place to you. Because every time Jesus experienced sinners, here's what he would do. First of all, he loved them, even in their sin. Isn't that what the Bible says, that God loved us while we were yet sinners? Christ died for us. And again, love is not about pleasing or affirming, but love is to see as God sees. That every person is a son or a daughter of the Most High God. Whether they're in the house or whether they're walking in in a prodigal way, God loves them and cares for them. But Jesus never stopped there. No, he would call them out of their sin. Now, they they could choose to accept or reject but he would call them out of their sin every single time. Why? Because he knows that sin will destroy us. He doesn't want anything that would destroy us. 
Therefore, he calls us out of the darkness that will destroy us and calls us into his, his, as Paul would call it, his marvelous light. And then he forgives their sin. Every single time. This is what perplexed the religious leaders of the day. How can he do this? Yet he does. And every single time he gives them new life. Because that's what the gospel does. It's the good news. That's what we're called to do. To be welcoming. To be kind. It doesn't mean I have to agree with you. It doesn't mean I have to affirm you. It does mean that I need to see you as God sees you. And have compassion on you the way he does. And the last thing that Paul says here is to serve one another. We're called to serve one another. Look back at verse 8. He says, for I tell you that Christ became a servant. When we serve people, people see Jesus. You want people to see Jesus in you? Just serve people. You want people to see Jesus in your family? Just serve people. Serve. You don't have to have a, a pianist that's playing. Although I got one. Holla. You don't have to have a stage. You don't have to have a degree. You don't even have to have understand everything in this book. But when you serve people, God begins to flow through a finite creature and touches another finite creature. Purpose gets to be created. Tyler Herring, the young man that you saw on the screen right before I came out to preach that's the director of Life Center, was a kid in my youth group in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Spoiled brat, dad's an oil executive, lives in a nice little posh little community, neighborhood pool, got what he wants, got everything the way he wants it, everything's great. He's always been, he was six foot one when he was 12. I mean, he's just always been a tall kid. His dad's six ten, so I mean, he's just a tall kid. Always stood out, always just, but we would take him on mission trips, inner city. International. And what would happen is, is God would begin to flow through him. He would serve someone, and God would begin to flow through him to touch someone else. We take all those kids on those mission trips, and we'd come back home and go, okay, the mission doesn't end there. This is what we're called to do in our high schools, in our junior highs, in our communities. This is how we're called to live our lives. It's what we're called to do in our neighborhoods, and with friends, and with people that we know and that we don't know. This is the fruit of the Spirit, the kindness of God that flows through us. And through a lifetime of that, he winds up giving his life serving people. Why? Because he knows that that serving one another is when people see Jesus. John's Gospel, chapter 17, verse 22 and 23. Just listen to these words. Jesus says this to the Father. He says that the glory that you've given me, I've given to them, speaking to the disciples that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that we may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them 
even as you loved me. The power's in the example. So today, I'm going to close in prayer, and I'm asking you to join with me in a commitment of unity. I'm asking you to join me to bear one another, even in weakness. This is where the power of, of life groups are so important, to be doing life with other people. I don't need a life group. Exactly right. A life group needs you. Why? Because you're mature in your faith. Quit looking for something deeper and find people to serve. Find people to be. Maybe you need to be in that group as an anchor, not to hold people down, but to, be, but to be a steady eddy in the middle of the storm to help people as they're walking through their weaknesses. Because that should be a place where we're able to kind of just emotionally get stuff out and, and spiritually pray for one another and carry one another's burdens. Maybe it's just an attitude in your heart. Bear one another. Build up one another on the basis of God's word. Let us recommit our, re, re-give ourselves to the commitment to this book. Listen, the greatest thing I can tell you is not a sermon I'm going to preach. The greatest thing I can tell you is this. Live your life upon this book. Should the Lord tarry his coming, there'll be a day I won't sit on this platform to be the pastor. As long as I'm the pastor of this church, we will go from Genesis to the maps. I'm just telling you, I believe it all, right? I mean, that's just what it is. But I'm just saying, commit ourselves. This is God's word. That's why you need to have a copy of God's word, digital or in your hand while I'm preaching. Don't just take my word for it. Don't just, don't just swallow things hook, line, and sinker. I'm not going to intentionally try to lead you astray, but there are those that will. And the Bible says in the last days, there'll be people that will have itching ears and they're going to hear what they want to hear. And we have a world right now that loves to worship, but they don't love God's word. You want me to tell you why? Go back to the Old Testament. What did Saul do in his sin and degradation? He brought David in to sing psalms and hymns. And what did it do? It relieved him from the vexing of the demons that would plague his heart. Because even when we're far away from God, we want to hear songs about God because it brings us back to a place. Remember back in the 60s, after Elvis Presley would do a concert somewhere in Vegas, he would sit down by a piano and begin to, do, begin to play what? Hymns. Because he knew. He knew from which he was raised. He knew from the prayers of his mother. He had heard all of that. And that's it. I saw a clip this last week, and Justin Bieber was in a church in Beverly Hills, and he was singing. And there were people that were kind of thrashing on him because he was singing. And it was like, no, the reason why he's singing those songs, it doesn't sell top 40, but it's, it's, it's soothing the vexing of his soul because there's a part of him that wants so much to follow Jesus, and there's another part of him that the world has a hold of, and he's torn in both directions. And you may go, why are you talking about that? Because it's not about worship. It's not about a preacher. It's not about a worship style. It's not about a building or location. It's about this word. And when we go back to this word, we commit ourselves to this word, man, I'm just telling you, we'll walk in unity. Let us welcome one another as a family. There are new people every single weekend at Life Church. Are there people that have left during, from COVID? Oh, absolutely. Are there people that are never coming back? Absolutely. Are you worried about that? Nope. You seem pretty confident. Yep. Because this isn't my gig. You understand? Like, I don't own this. This isn't like Aaron Cole World Outreach Ministries Church. Do you understand that? This is, this is God's church. This is his. My job is just to be a messenger, just to be, I'm, I'm just here. I'm one beggar to another beggar where to find food. And if people that are mature in their faith in Christ, or, or they call themselves Christ followers, decide they want to go someplace else, okay, the kingdom's built. Because what, what are we called to do? Be fishers of men. Go into all the world and preach and teach the gospel, making disciples of all men. That's it. So you and I, that's what we're going to do together. It's okay. 
Woo, I'm telling you, I'm preaching way better than you're shouting, and I'm 10 minutes over, but I got to land this. Last thing is just serve one another. Man, let us be known as a church who just serves people, just loves people, just helps people, just serves, loves, helps, gives. I know I'm preaching to the choir on this, but that's how people will know the love of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. And I just pray, help us to live this out today. Help us to live this out. In Jesus' name, we pray. Help us today to live out your word, to live this gospel message out. In Jesus' name, amen.